Well, it is good to be able uh, to be together and to worship together. And pretty cool to me um, to see all the people that are joined in and a part of what we're doing. And uh, as we've said already, we're just going to continue on. You know, God, God's not caught off guard by all this that's happening. He um, has not stopped working. You know, ministry is carrying on. We're going to con continue to carry on with ministry and just figure out what that looks like. And hopefully uh, this won't be something that lasts very long until we're able to be back together again. Uh, but I have to tell you today, my plan was for us to get together. We're, we're in the book of Lamentations, as, as most of you probably know. It's a heavy book. You know, it deals with some really heavy topics. And so I thought today is a day that we, you know, at least starting out, needed to maybe laugh a little bit, need a little bit of levity to it. So I tapped into my youth ministry friends, and we were going to play a game today, and the game was called Lamentations or Taylor Swift. And we we're going to do a little game where you have to get a quote and figure out, is this from the book of Lamentations, or is this a quote from a Taylor Swift song? Because a lot of them have a lot of tears and a lot of misery in them. So maybe we'll have to save that for another day. We're not going to be able to do that today. Um, but we are going to be able to jump in and talk about a topic uh, that's an important topic for us to address. And here it is. It's, it's how do I handle guilt? Because, you know, closely associated with any type of pain and suffering almost always is some level of guilt. And so going through Lamentations and just looking at how things were expressed, um, you know, kind of gave some idea of, of how to um, work through some of those types of things. And one of the things, by the way, that I would encourage you to do, kind of tying back into the comment earlier about the Taylor Swift or Lamentations, is keep your sense of humor because that's important. But at the same time, pain is real. And, and it's not funny when you're going through things. And so it's not funny when you're dealing with guilt and trying to figure out, you know, how to process that. And so, you know, one of the things that we often get into when we are dealing with loss or where we're dealing with a difficult situation, we get into a lot of the if onlys. You ever been there on that one? You know, if, if only I had done this differently. If only we had gone to the doctor sooner. If only... Um, I had poured more into my marriage. If only I had been a, be a better parent. It's just you know, the list goes on and on. And along with that list of if onlys comes a big old bag of guilt. And that bag of guilt can weigh us down tremendously. So today I want to talk about how to deal with that because it's hard enough to deal with pain and loss the way it is. But when you add guilt on top of that, um, the, the weight is just too much for us to bear. And so here's the, the, the beginning point for us uh, today that I want us to talk about is to recognize the connection between guilt and suffering. Um, recognize the connection, the real connection between guilt and suffering. And, uh, you know, we've touched on this a little bit in, in days gone by, uh, but we're going to get into it a little bit more depth today. But sometimes our guilt comes as a result of things that we have done. And sometimes it's really not. Sometimes we just might uh, believe that it is when it isn't. So Lamentations chapter 4, and if you have your Bible, I hope that you have your Bible with you. And as you're following along with me, so Lamentations uh, chapter 4, I want us to, uh, to read verses 11 through 14 today. It says, The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion that consumes her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened. Why? 
because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Uh, and actually, I'll just stop right there in verse 13. Um, it's important for us to make the connection to our, between our sin and our guilt. And it says here in verse 11, the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. So what's going on here is that there was a real connection between the guilt of the people and Jeremiah is acknowledging that before God and saying God is giving full vent to his wrath because of what we have done. Uh, their actions, their rebellion against God is bringing about the horrible things that are happening. And we've looked at this in weeks past. I mean, it's not a pretty sight, the stuff that is going on at this time during the book of Lamentations. But that little phrase, one of the phrases that really caught my ear as I was reading through that the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. Last night before, uh, after dinner, before bed, decided it was time for a little snack. Microwave popcorn. Any microwave popcorn fans out there? Uh, maybe I'll confess on this one. I might lose my man card because the type of popcorn I ate was called Skinny Girl. I'm not real sure what to make of that, but I had some Skinny Girl popcorn last night. But you put that in the microwave. You, you, you make the microwave popcorn, and then the instructions will tell you at the end to vent the bag, right? So it's all captured up in there. And what happens when you vent the bag, that steam all just comes rushing out. Anybody ever burned your fingers on the steam trying to open up a bag of microwave popcorn? Or maybe were you overeager and maybe burned your face by wanting to get into it a little too quickly? You know, when, when it's all trapped in there, when you vent that and it comes rushing all out at once, uh, that can be a dangerous thing. That's just one tiny little example Think about what it looks like for the wrath of God that has been stored up to be vented, to be, to be let loose. And that's what they're experiencing. And this is a big deal uh, when this happens. And, you know, the, the things that were going on, I think, here are really a, um, it's a fulfillment of what the Scripture tells us in the New Testament. Of course, this was written much later, but this, this idea that's been this, this eternal idea that was written by Paul in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So it's this, this biblical idea that we do eventually reap what we sow. Now, I use that word eventually because it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes we can be in rebellion toward God, and we really don't. God doesn't give full vent to his wrath. Uh, we don't always experience that immediately, but eventually we will. Eventually we will reap what we sow. And in verse 12, it says that the people just couldn't have believed that this was coming. It says there in verse 12, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. So when the Babylonians came and they attacked Jerusalem and eventually they wore them down, they cut off their food supply, they, they, they just could only hold out for so long. And so after a long period of time, when they were able to come in through the gates, nobody saw that coming. They had a false sense of security. They, they thought that they were invincible when, in fact, that wasn't true. You think we're ever guilty of that? You know, thinking, hey, I, I, I'm good. Nothing is ever going to happen. You know, I'm, everything is just fine. If there's one thing that we've been reminded of the last few weeks, it's that we are not invincible, right? 
we've been reminded that um, we may sometimes develop a false sense of security. And you know, it, it, it's not just the coronavirus, although that's what's on everybody's mind these days. Stock market crashing, people losing a lot of money, investments, retirement, uh, which probably will rebound and come back, but, but there's that immediate sense of, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And, and this security that I thought I had is now diminished significantly, or this sense of security or this sense of, as we talked about before, we don't live out of fear, but if we're not careful, um, you know, that can creep in. It's, you know, I thought everything was great. I thought we were invincible. I mean, who would have thought that, that in a country like ours where there's this incredible defense system and, and you know, we are just at every turn doing everything that, that can be done to protect our people, that some unknown virus could cause this much of a, of a scare and this much concern. It, it's just a reminder to me of a couple of things. One, it's a reminder that we're not really as in charge as we think we are. You know, we may think that we're safe and that everything is good, but it reminds me that we have to be dependent on God. And it reminds me of the importance of us being in a right relationship with God, too. Uh, but the other thing that it reminds me of is it, it's been a, a good um, time to, to reevaluate what's really important. You know, one of the things that happened early on that was kind of the beginning of all this is a lot of uh, public activities were beginning to be closed, uh, it started with some professional sports closing their seasons and, and those kinds of things. And uh, those of you that know me know I like sports. I enjoy following these things. It's, it's a big part of, of my entertainment, uh, and it gives me something to divert my attention sometimes. And so I was disappointed when they did that. And my favorite entertainment thing, sports-related thing of the whole year, by far, nothing even comes close to it, is March Madness. I love March Madness. And they canceled March Madness on me. Can you believe it? And that was my initial response. And then did I mention that I've been evaluating what's really important lately? Isn't it funny how when we step back sometimes and the things we're like, how oh, could you do this to me? You took away my entertainment. It's been a good reminder to say, you know what? Here's the thing. I haven't really missed it. You know, it's probably led to some more family time, led to less mental distraction. Um, so evaluating what's important. Sometimes when we get in a place uh, where we're squeezed, it causes us to stop and, and, and hone in on what really matters. And so that's one of my prayers is that out of this time of uncertainty and, and time where we're just not sure, you know, what the future holds for us in a lot of different ways, this will be a time that we just turn to the Lord and say, okay, God, we know you've got this. And, and we don't want to be in a place where we are rebelling against God, um, and, and, but rather in a place where we are able to, to lean on him. And so sometimes our guilt does lead to the uh, consequences in our lives. But the flip side to that, and this is really important for, for us to understand, is that there is another side to that coin. And the other side to the coin is this, that sometimes that's just simply not the case. Uh, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, uh, it says, as he went along, talking about Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, their assumption was somebody had to have sinned. Was it him, as in the sense of like God knew what he would do eventually, and so he was pre-punishing him for what he knew he was going to do? Was it this man's sin, or was it his parents had sinned against God, and this was their punishment that they had a child born blind? It had to be one or the other, right? And Jesus gives another answer. Jesus said, neither. 
It wasn't because somebody had sinned. That's not why this happened in his life. But did you notice the next thing that Jesus says is, is a bit shocking, actually. He gives the reason why this man uh, struggled with blindness from the time he was born. The reason, he said, he said this was done, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, that, that is a bit startling because what that says is that everything this man went through from the time he was born until the time he met Jesus was all part of God leading up to this point where he was going to do something significant in his life. He was going to heal him. He was going to reveal himself in a way that he could not have experienced apart from the suffering that he had gone through. Um, think about all that he would have had to endure, though, in that time. They didn't have the, 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 the medical things that we have now. They, he wouldn't have been able to go to school. He probably would have had to beg, um, wouldn't have been able to hold down a job. I mean, that's a lot for somebody to endure. And Jesus said, yet there was a greater purpose in that. And that greater purpose was that the, the works of God might be displayed in his life. Not sure exactly what you may be struggling with or where you may be these days, but, but let me just tell you, when we go through those difficult things, it's not always because God is punishing us for something we've done wrong. I mean, that, that is a viable option, and we always need to look at that and say, is there something in my life that needs to be dealt with? But it could very well be that some of the struggles that we have are God's way of displaying his power in our lives, just like he did the blind man in John chapter 9. So whether it's a health challenge like he faced, whether it's an addiction, it could be a battle with depression, it could be a financial struggle, you're just struggling to make ends meet, it could be any number of things. But here's my encouragement to you today. Whatever you're going through, know that God can take that situation and that difficulty and that struggle and he can display his work in our lives in a powerful way as a result of that. And so when it comes to, to, to dealing with guilt, sometimes it helps us to understand some of the things that I'm going through may not be because I have done something or God is upset with me or God is angry with me in some way. It could very well be. This is a part of a, of a, of a plan that God has for my life to display his power in my life in a way that I wouldn't have seen it before. So in the book of Lamentations, absolutely it was as a result of their, of their guilt. John chapter 9, different story. So one way or the other, here's the thing. When we're, when we're dealing with guilt, the guilt is real. And so I want to spend the, the last few moments that we have together here talking about the difference between what I would call real guilt or true guilt and false guilt. Both of them we have to deal with. In Lamentations, what we see is true guilt because they had rebelled against God. What do you do when you're dealing with true guilt? You confess your sins, quite simply. You confess. You get it out there. Verse 13, that's what we see him doing. It says, uh, Jeremiah speaking here, um, says, But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed blood within, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. He's saying, look, it's, it's our, our prophets and our priests are leading the way in sinfulness, and that's why we are, um, that's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. And so on behalf of the people, he's confessing this, before God. By the way, just a quick little aside there. If the, the people who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of a group, if, if they have rebelled against God, th that's a bad place to be. 
It's not very likely that those that they are supposed to lead are going to follow God very closely if the leaders themselves are not. And, and not to say that leaders are perfect, but it's important. That's important to us. It's important to our church. But this principle of as a spiritual leader, we can't expect somebody else to be somewhere spiritually that we're not ourselves. Uh, and by the way, a spiritual leader is not just somebody who has a an official position of some sort in a church or a ministry. Uh, if you have a children, you're a spiritual leader as a parent. Guys, if you're married, you're called to be the spiritual leader of, of your wife and your home. But we have roles. Most of us probably have some role where we are uh, directed to take some spiritual leadership. So just understand that the importance of that, that we can't expect somebody else to follow God in a way that we're not willing to do ourselves. And so that's something to, to spend some time reflecting on. But when we do get out of alignment, what do we do? First John 1. 8 and 9 gives us the answer. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, as, as long as we try to hide our sins or ignore our sins or excuse our sins or whatever, just plain old try not to deal with our sins, as long as we do any of those things, we're not going to make any progress. But the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just and will forgive us. To confess simply means to agree with God that what God says about it is true. We're not trying to excuse it. We're not trying to minimize it. We're just saying, okay, God, I am confessing that this is where I have fallen short. You've said this is wrong. I'm agreeing with you that this is wrong, and I'm putting it out there. And when we do that, here's what we receive. This is a great word. It's the word grace. You see, what we need when we are dealing with true guilt is grace. We need to be covered with the grace of God. And that's why Jesus came. You know, in, this, in the, the book of 1 John that I just quoted from a minute ago, he's speaking actually primarily to believers. But in that book, it also talks about how important it is to have a relationship with Christ in the first place. You get into chapter 5, 1 John, it talks about whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so if we have a relationship with Him, if we've trusted in Him, if we've confessed our sins and put our faith in Jesus, then we've been born again. We've been forgiven. But this verse, and that's the beginning step, by the way, if you haven't yet taken that step, let me encourage you in that. Right where you are, I mean, you can just right now in your home or wherever you may be, you can just pause and say, okay, I don't know that I've ever confessed my sins, turned to Jesus in faith and asked him to save me from my sins. So do that now. But I know for many, that's a step that you have taken. Um, this book was written not to those who needed to take that step initially, but to those who already have. But here's the point. Even those who have a relationship with Christ need to continue to confess. We need to continue to make things right. We don't, unfortunately, we don't stop sinning once we are saved or once we come into a relationship with Jesus. We still mess up. We still fall short. We're still uh, a work in progress. And so when we do sin, then we know that we can confess it. So that is our, our answer. When we are dealing with true guilt, there's something in our life that is wrong. The way we approach that is we confess it to God and we receive the grace that he extends to us. But what about false guilt? By false guilt, here's what I mean. I mean, a, a guilt, it, it's taking responsibility for something that is not within our control. Do you ever do that? If you take responsibility or you feel guilty for or you carry a burden for something that is not within your control, 
That's false guilt. I, I got a great example of that, um, and I've been sharing some of the stories from a book that I've been reading along these lines recently. This was a story of a mom who happened to be a nurse, and she had a son who was about 17 years old at the time. He was going through a lot of uh, health challenges that came on quite suddenly, and they took him to the hospital, and he was in his hospital room, and he had a massive seizure in his hospital room. And the mom, of course, recognized what was happening, and her first response was to go and call the doctors. The doctors came in. They began to work on him. She stepped out of the room to let them do what they needed to do. And on top of that, she's like, I just can't watch this happen, right? As a parent, I think you could relate to that. And so she stepped outside. She's praying for her son. Unfortunately, her son didn't make it. And she was in a group 18 years later in this, this grief support group and she said you know I don't know that I've ever truly dealt with this guilt that I've been carrying around that's a great example of false guilt because in her mind back to those what ifs her questions were you know what if I had tried to work on him immediately what if I had instead of calling the doctors what if this what if that and she'd been carrying that burden for 18 years sometimes we do that we carry a burden of guilt on our shoulders that really isn't ours to carry um, could she have done anything differently? No, she really couldn't have. So what's the answer then? If the answer for true guilt is grace, what's the answer for false guilt? It's truth. And, and here's the last main idea I want to leave with you today is to combat false guilt with God's truth. Whenever we are dealing with false guilt, we, we, by the way, we shouldn't just push it to the side and say, oh, well, you shouldn't worry about that. That's not a big deal. No, if, if you feel it, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be acknowledged. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. And here's how we deal with it. Romans 8, chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we combat false guilt with truth. Where do we get truth? We, we get truth right here. In God's word. And so we take scriptures like Romans 8 and, and say, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have a relationship with Christ. I'm not going to carry around this, this condemnation that I'm feeling. And that is a tactic of the enemy. That is never God's doing in your life. I hope you realize that. God is never one to place condemnation on us. When we are under conviction, we deal with the sin and we confess it, as we said. But once we confess it, then we let that go. And we realize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Two more scriptures I want to leave you with as we wrap up this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. This just to me speaks to God's graciousness in our lives. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How gracious is God not only to forgive our sins, not only to cleanse us in that sense, the first John, you know, forgives our sins, purify us from unrighteousness. But Hebrews 9 says that he also, he, he cleanses our, or he, he cleanses our consciences. See, our consciences, that, that's a gift from God. It really is because it points us toward when we get out of alignment and, and toward right and wrong. Does anybody out there have an overactive conscience? Anybody struggle to, to let things go, to release things? Scripture tells us 
that God wants to cleanse us not only of our sin, but also of our consciences so that we're not carrying that burden, uh, that, that false guilt or that unnecessary burden. And I, I just, you know, to me, that just speaks to God's graciousness that he would do that for us. Okay, one last scripture, and we'll close with this. And this, to me, ties it all together. We said that the answer for true guilt is grace. The answer for false guilt is truth. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus came from the Father full of what? Full of grace and truth. See, whether we need grace to cover our sins or whether we need truth to be able to release it to God, both of those are found in Jesus. So either way, what we really need is Jesus. And he wants to provide exactly what we need as we're dealing with our guilt. Let's pray together. Lord, today, thank you that you, um, that you are a God who is good to us, that you love us, that you do deal with our, our guilt and our sin, and Lord, that you help us to, to know, um, Lord, just how to, to, to hand those things over to you. And I pray, Lord, that, that we are able to experience uh, your presence and your power in our lives, uh, especially right now, Lord. We pray over the, this, this illness, over this virus. We pray that, that there would be a cure. We pray against the spread of the virus. I pray, Lord, for our community, for our nation, and specifically for our Gateway family as well, and those even in other parts of the world, God, that you would protect. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, here's what I want you to do today. Um, as we wrap things, and Jed's going to come and lead us in, in a final song, and we'll conclude our live stream service for today. But as we wrap things up, I want to encourage you to take some time to pray. If you're watching with somebody else, if you're watching with your family, or uh, you know, if your kids got tired of watching me and decided they needed to go do something else, go get them again, bring them back in uh, But after we finish here. But I just want to encourage you to take some time to pray together as a family. And we mentioned a moment ago uh, that we would encourage you to send us your prayer request. Here's what we're going to do when we finish live streaming here. We're going to all get together and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray over any of those requests that you send us um, before we dismiss. But our president today has called for a day of prayer. And a great way for us to honor that is just right where you are, um, just as a continuation of your worship this morning, is just to take some time and pray together. Uh, one of the things that, that we want you to know, we'll continue to be in community with you. you know, we're monitoring the situation. Your health is our, is our top priority. And so, yes, we're being cautious at this point, um, but we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep you healthy. And so it's kind of a week-by-week -week thing at this point. We'll, we'll evaluate. But what we do know is any of the church activities that we're planning for this week will not take place here at the building. We're still kind of working through details of how that might take place remotely or through some type of, you know, interaction like we're doing right now. We'll get the details out to you for that. But just for the rest of the week know that we won't be here together and as far as next Sunday we'll see where we are between now and then if things do change and we're able to get together great if not we'll be right back where we are again and doing another live stream and I'm glad you joined us uh, for the first time that we've had opportunity to do this